time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to the Cold War episode two twenty one. Wow, we're still talking about uh, the Korean War. How are you, my uh, diminutive sidekick? Uh, uh, doing okay. Getting a little, uh, a little tired of the short shit. Uh. Short, short attitude, short phrases. I can understand. You would be tired of, of it. It's exhausting. You have to look up all the time being short. My yeah. neck is sore. It's killing yeah. me. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go back yeah. to just looking you in the nipples. I, I It was a win-win when I did it, so Still, I'm just going back. Especially when I painted like little eyeballs and like a little eye. Little eye. Know, that fooled me for like the first three months, and I went, hey, they never blink. And then I caught on. Anyway, so – I'm not the sharpest knife in the in the in the drawer. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, who you? else wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer? I, I, I General was... Walton Walker. No, no, he wasn't. That's why he uh, crashed his jeep and died. So, um, yeah. did you like that segue? That's professional stuff there. It that is, segue, top level, straight in. Top shelf. Yeah. Um, on the morning, we talked about this before. On the morning of the 23rd of December, 1950. General Walton Walker, WW, um, crashed his uh, Jeep. Right. Died. Well, the guy driving his Jeep crashed it, but he had a reputation walking. He liked to go everywhere quickly, yes. fast. Yes. Break the rules, doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and it way. caught up with him. Right. His yes. replacement, as we have mentioned before, but we're going to go into a lot more detail about this guy over the next couple of episodes. His right. replacement was General Matthew B. Ridgway. Yes. The B stood for, Ray? Butt kicker. Uh, no, officially bunker, which, oh, my God, if you're in the Army, that's the most apt middle name I've ever heard of. Mm. Balls the size of planets is what I thought the B stood for. He uh, was known as the Soldier's General. Ah, right. Uh, If you're a soldier, this is the guy you want to have. He's the real uh, deal. As your general. He's the real deal. He is the real deal. Yeah, he's the real deal. He was at a friend's home in Washington uh, drinking. Sure. Uh, he, he was, he was, you know, part of the uh, strategic uh, team behind the war uh, at the Pentagon at the time. Mm-hmm. He was, he was drinking at a friend's home when he got the call that Walker was dead and that Douglas MacArthur wanted him as his replacement. In his memoirs, right. Ridgeway's memoirs, called Soldier. Uh, he writes. He writes the following about when he got that phone call. My mind ranged back for a moment over all that had gone before, and it seemed to me that basically this problem that was facing me was was little different, except in degree, from the problems that had confronted me throughout all my years in service, first at the infantry school, then at staff college, and later in combat. Mm. The whole training of an officer seeks to accomplish one purpose, to instill in him the ability to take over in battle in a time of crisis – Many a time in infantry school, I'd been given such a problem. 
A map would be thrust before me. You are here, I was told. The enemy is here. The tactical situation is thus, and so it was always bad. Your battalion commander has been killed. You are now in command. What do you do? And then I would think the whole thing through as quickly as I could, working out in my own mind each concrete step I would take in an orderly process, basing my decisions on what knowledge I possessed of the enemy's disposition, his strength and capabilities, and of the strength and capabilities of my own men. And here, after all these years, the same situation was facing me, but for real now, not a theory, but a fact. The army commander was dead. The tactical situation was bad. I was in command, and on my answer to the question, what do you do, depended something far more important than a grade in an instructor's book. On it, hinged victory or defeat. Well done. Mm. Quick quick question, follow-up. If his Mm. memoir was called Soldier, is your memoir just going to be called, and I don't mean this in a bad way, uh, Podcaster? Just mm. boom, just mm. lowercase letters, a stark black and white photo of you looking challengingly mm-hmm. into the mm-hmm. lens and just boom, podcast at the top. Like, yes, yeah. mm. <laughs> intellectual page one, aloof look. I yes. invented podcasting, no one cared. <laughs> the end. That'll be $27. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I liked um, I liked Ridgeway's uh, memoirs. Yes. I liked I'll, I'll, I'll read from them again uh, shortly. But right. I like his approach here. Like this is uh, this is what we trained for. Yes, this is it. Literally, this is this yeah. is what you trained for. It's yeah. uh, shit's going badly. The commander's dead. You're in control. Right. What do you do? How do you how do you assess the situation? Exactly. How do you come up with a rational series of steps that you have to take? And as we'll see as we go through this, uh, Ridgeway was very good yes. at uh, doing exactly what he had to do here, right. figuring out what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, what the enemy's strengths and weaknesses are, and figuring out a path forward. I respect that. This guy's a real deal. He is. I, you know, if I could, and this might sound a little self-serving, but I don't mean it to, he's, he's got the best of both of our qualities. And I know you're going to agree with me. On one hand, he can look at an absolutely horrific situation. And like you just said, assess it. Yes, things are really bad across the board. Here's how we proceed. That's one thing. And the other thing is we're going to find out in his own way, he is able to light fire under his men. Even though they're depressed, he's able to go in there. He's a breath of fresh air. He can go in there and revive their their fighting spirit, uh, the overall confidence of the, you know, we're talking uh, uh, 100,000 guys, over 100,000 guys, but he's able to go in there and just go, we can do this, which everybody says, but they believe him and he's able to turn around the morale of the troops. Again, that on its own is as, as impressive as you could expect from anybody in this horrible situation. So that's all of the stuff he gets from me. What what does he get from you? I was going to say the immaculate hairline, but no, that's <laughs> not true. For fuck's sake. I'm in here in my underwear in my mid-50s talking to a guy on the other side of the planet about shit that no one cares about. For fuck's sake. <laughs> I shouldn't share. I shouldn't share. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't had my edible today. I'm sorry. I don't know uh, where. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. You know what? Maybe he's just a clone. Those therapy you. sessions really aren't paying off, are they? They're, I feel like really I'm, getting, getting, I'm getting my money's worth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. So. Uh, two days later, 
Yes. Two days later, Christmas Day, mm-hmm. he was in Tokyo. Next day, he had a meeting with Dougie Mac. Yes. Mac uh, complained, as you would imagine, about <laughs> oh, the politicians were holding him back, made it clear that he wanted to bomb China. Uh, here's a, here's another bit from um, Ridgeway's memoirs, mm-hmm. Ridgey Didge, the Ridgey Didge story. That's what it should have been called. The Didgeridoo, that's what they called it, <laughs> Didgeridoo. Right. He said, um, at nine I saw General MacArthur. In a masterly briefing he covered all the points I had in mind to ask him. As I rose to go, he asked one question. No, I asked one question. General, I said, if I get over there and find the situation warrants it, do I have your permission to attack? A broad grin broke out on the old gentleman's face. Do what you think best, Matt, he said. The Eighth Army is yours. That is the sort of orders that puts heart into a soldier. Now the full responsibilities were mine, not to be delegated, as authority may be delegated, but indivisibly and ceaselessly mine day and night, as every commander's responsibilities are his alone, from theatre to infantry squad, from five stars to two stripes. Command responsibilities for as long as it might please God and my superiors to keep me on the job. Nice. Now, could Mm. I I say real quick, I was expecting more more of a clash from their first meeting. I get that one works for the other and it's the military and I get all that, but you and I know that MacArthur wants to bring in the Chinese nationalists to invade the, the, the China mainland. Truman's not going to go along with that. And you've got MacArthur bitching about, uh, we don't, what, what's our purpose? What are we doing? What are our goals? It's too vague. What, I'm a military, you know, fuck you. You're the one screwing up by sending misinformation back to Washington. So that part as well. And also the whole, the uh, atomic bombs. And so I'm surprised that they got along, but I think Ridgeway was happy to get out of there and go, I'm going to go do this my way. And thank you very much, Mr. God on high in, in Tokyo, but I'm going to go handle this. And he does, but, but they are very different men. And MacArthur is not yet done playing his political games. So don't forget that. Well, as we'll see, as soon as Ridgeway got over there, he came to the conclusion that it was being very badly run. Exactly. Um, And, you know, MacArthur has to take responsibility for that. So I I don't think Ridgeway was a big fan of how MacArthur was running Uh, things, but I think he... He liked the fact that MacArthur said, you know, do do whatever you think is best. You're you're in command now. Right. Um, which is, uh, I don't know. I guess I, I, I understand that. but It's unusual yeah. for MacArthur to say anything close to that. He likes to make the decisions. He likes to be in front of the press. He likes to be there with the men when it's not too dangerous. Um, I'm surprised he said that to Ridgeway, but I'm glad he did. Yeah. So by the end of that day, Ridgeway was in South Korea. He was 56, a battle-hardened paratrooper who commanded the 82nd Airborne on D-Day. I I know nothing about the 82nd Airborne and D-Day, Ray. Uh, I did look it up, though. Apparently, that's the first airborne division in the history of the U.S. Army, Mm -hmm. which is kind of... You know, I would have thought there were 81 airborne divisions before them that had all died. Oh, we start with 82. They were the the 82nd. They were like, okay, well, listen, those guys didn't work out for them. Their parachutes didn't open. But this time we think we've got it. (laughs) (laughs) We're pretty sure this time we've worked these parachutes out. We we think we got it right this time. Exactly. For example... Uh, the 82nd parachutes are made out of silk. The 75th made out of brown paper bag. 
didn't take, didn't work all that well, and it was what we've worked out. Yeah, is is we 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 think this time what we'll do is you pull the cord right before you hit the ground. I think this time that sounds right. I think I think that's where we've been going wrong. It's you land the other way around. You're supposed to pull then land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we. I think I turned the instructions upside down, and I think. Oh, Everyone said to me the writing's upside down, but right. I was like, oh, I think it's a design choice. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that's it's just clever. Yeah, design. you bounce it's twice, then ironic. pull the cord, right? Bounce twice, pull the cord. Anyway, I thought they'd written the instructions upside down because you're falling right. when you're reading them, and so if that's they're upside brilliant. down, it's like something in a mirror, right? You have the it's it looks the right way up if you're falling, At the time. right? But when but, you're falling. We checked with the designers. I mean, maybe we should yes. have done that after the first right. time. Who's to say? I yeah. don't know, but <laughs> I was just confident first 81 times that we had it right. But we went back to them and they said, no, no, yeah. actually, it's, it's supposed to be the other way and, and, and you yeah. pull the cord first. So. And I would say – My bad. Right, his it's bad. On me. His oh, bad. It's yes, on me. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's on me. And I would say live and learn, but the first 80, <laughs> the, the 81 didn't. Yeah. So – yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but from thank now you, on, thank you for the thank you for their service um, oh, in testing. Right. Testing. Anyway, he was the uh, commander of the eighty second Airborne on right. D Day. Yes. Wasn't a showman. Um, said he didn't want to be one. Right. He, he talked in his memoirs about look, there are lots of showman generals. Never interested me. Although, uh, to be fair, I think he was a bit of a showman. Yes. I think he yes. he said he wasn't, but I think he was. Well, he uh, go ahead, go ahead. Mm, no, after you. No, I was just going to say real quick, I think you're right. He was a showman, and we're about to see some of that with the effects that he have, has on the men. But he wasn't – he didn't have his hoary pearl pistols like Patton. He didn't have that, the beret or whatever it was that Montgomery had. But in his own way, he was he was showy, and as we're about to find out, he is very effective. Oh, very effective. Yes. He later claimed that during World War II, when he commanded three infantry regiments mm-hmm. in the 82nd Infantry Division, right. he knew all 900 men by name. God damn I could I could call them by name, and the reason was I spent every single daylight hour with them in their training. By the time we got into combat, I had such a close personal relationship with my regimental and battalion commanders that I concurred in every single one of their selections. Not in a single case was there any disagreement. So uh, classic general stuff. He's out there in in the tradition of a Julius Caesar right. or Napoleon. With, with the troops. Yeah, ignore the sash. I'm with you guys. I'm here down in the mud. I'm eating what you eat. Yeah. 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 I don't even know the name of all of my children. Mm. So that's impressive Mm. of him. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Mac had his his pipe and his aviators. Right. Uh, Napoleon had his uh, tricorn, well, bicorn, really. Right. Uh, Ridgeway... Always had a grenade strapped to one shoulder and a field kit strapped to the other shoulder. Right. It's basically he would he would fondle them. He'd be like, "Listen, I can blow you up, or I can heal your wounds. Your choice. Like, or what do you want here? I can do both. It takes a well, little longer, but I can do yeah, both. yeah. And I'm not sure which comes first: <laughs> I heal your wounds and then blow right. you up, or the other way around. Is that? Like the cop reaching for their taser but accidentally grabbing their gun. Anyway, please, please go ahead. Mm. Please go ahead. Do you understand why he had those, what what the symbolism of that was, uh, the tradition behind that? No, 
I'm going to guess mm. and say killing and being able to help his men, but I I don't know why. Tell me. Mm. Mm. I don't know. It's oh, just what he did. Apparently, was it was thing. notable. That was what's, that was what's his our thing. shtick? We need a shtick. We need something. Oh, that's where we've gone wrong all these years. Oh, is we need a shtick. Sake. We'll have to go back and re-record. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Everything now. Because yeah. I remember everything I said. So I you- was actually thinking the other day we should go back and do Napoleon, you and me, do it Cam and Ray style. Do you want Sir <laughs> J. David Markham's foot all the way up my ass, tickling my kidneys? Yeah, you might, I but do. I don't. I do. I don't. I'm afraid of I, that man. I partly want to do it just to drive him insane in his last years. You know, Cam, we already did the. And now I'm doing, what's his name, the actor. Anyway, so. I can't do it. Yeah. Within a few hours of arriving in Korea, Ridgeway yes. had figured out what his first priority was. He wrote, I had discovered that our forces were simply not mentally and spiritually ready for the sort of action I'd been planning. The men I met along the road, those I stopped to talk to and to solicit gripes from, they too all conveyed to me a conviction that this was a bewildered army, not sure of itself or yeah. its leaders, not sure what they were doing there, wondering when they would hear the whistle of that homebound transport you're right so you were right when you said he gets there and the men are so fucked up all they can think about is leaving not exactly a recipe for turning around a major chinese offensive yeah well they'd had their asses handed to them after being told that they were going to be home by christmas Christmas, that's a good point they found out that uh you know they they were christmas 1960 (laughs) i mean what the fuck are we talking yeah yeah sorry yeah for um I've got a long section from his memoirs here that I'm going to uh, read with your permission. Please. Um, For three days I travelled the front, talking with the commanders who faced the enemy beyond the Han. I rode in an open jeep and would permit no jeep with the top up to operate in the combat zone. Riding in a closed vehicle in a battle area puts a man in the wrong frame of mind. It gives him an erroneous sense of warmth, of Mm. safety. His mental attitude is that of an ostrich poking his head in the sand. Also, I held to the old-fashioned idea that it helped the spirits of the men to see the old man up there in the snow and the sleet and the mud, sharing the same cold, miserable existence they had to endure. As a consequence, I damn near froze. I had only a little flat-topped cloth cap I'd worn in Europe. It had no ear flaps, no fur lining. I was wearing civilian gloves. Finally, some kind-hearted major dug up a pile-lined cap for me and a pair of good warm gloves. I can't remember his name now, but I'll never cease to bless him for his kindness. I must say, in all frankness, that the spirit of the 8th Army, as I found it on my arrival there, gave me deep concern. There was a definite air of nervousness of gloomy foreboding, of uncertainty, a spirit of apprehension as to what the future held. Mm. Who was that? Uh, Go ahead. Sorry, mm. sorry, sorry. Mm. Who was that general that fought the Civil Wars after Alexander died and he spent all his time with them? We went on and on about him. Or who was it? I mean, there's always one, you know, whether it's Roman, Greek, you know, uh, Parthians, whatever. There's always one general who's smart enough to get down there with the men, live the life they live. It impresses the hell out of them. You really get a sense of what's going on in their heads. And that's what a good leader does. And that's what he's doing. I was trying to, I don't know if it was, uh, 
uh, anti-gonad or whatever, but but he's he, this guy's the real deal. And you were mentioning the clothes a second ago. Not only is their morale bad, but there's not a lot of winter clothing. There's not a lot of proper food. And so the men are, are suffering because they're being beat militarily. But even when they're not fighting, they don't have the food they need. They don't have the clothes they need to stay warm, to keep the circulation going, to be ready for combat. I mean, it is a shit situation and he's going to fix it, but it's going to take some time as far as the clothes and things like that. But as far as the morale, there's something about this man that just can light up the room and he can he can inspire these men. It seems like only a few weeks ago they were having hot chickens for Thanksgiving uh, flowing in and right. you know, first class food when the Chinese were eating frozen potatoes and breaking their teeth. Right. So they are getting looked after yeah, the yeah. U.S. troops over there but, in some ways anyway. It, right. And so, but uh, when you're on your massive retreat and you're dying, not exactly the time to bring out and, you know, bring out the food and make a nice chow line for everybody. So yes, there's some stuff, stuff there. There's going to be more. Ridgeway's going to see to that. But because of the military situation, they're not able to take advantage of it. He didn't even have gloves and he's the commanding officer. That's bullshit. That should have been handled one wine but like i said he is taking the tour and he's going to see what he needs to do to turn this thing around <laughs> like like in, he's going into like korea in the middle of winter yeah. he knows what the situation is why didn't he pack some fucking gloves and a woolly hat well if i remember correctly he got the call one day and then within 24 hours he was on his plane uh, on a plane to japan so you're right there should it- have been some kind of prep but he did you can't buy quickly. woolly gloves in Japan or uh, in Washington. I, yeah. Can't uh, say the size that fits hey. him. Yeah. 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 Private. Get we've, me some woolly gloves. We've I been mean, running this country since the end of World War II. There's where's the you know what you need? You need um Truman's haberdashery shop. I'm sure they've got oh, lots of yeah, lovely yeah. gloves. Yeah. And, and I'm done now. Plenty of they had plenty of like fleshlights. Oh, in Japanese, crates make the best fleshlights. Crates, crates are fleshlights. He should have stuck his hands in fleshlights, <laughs> well, honor holes, yeah. as they call them in Japan. Like, they fake pussies. Exactly. As you can guess, there was one part of the anatomy of the uh, the uh, Allied soldier that never got cold. Always warm. <laughs> Always warm. Always warm. Uh, let me c- continue yes. with his memoirs. Yes. My first contacts, therefore, were with the divisions holding the line beyond the Han, and my first task was to infuse these commanders with the confidence which I felt. For I was sure, deep in my heart, that all we had to do was pull ourselves together, take stock of our capabilities, and use those capabilities to the fullest. If we did that, we could make a different war of it. We could beat these Asiatic hordes to their knees. Mm -mm. It was clear to me that our troops had lost confidence. I could sense it the moment I came into a command post. I could read it in their eyes, in their walk. I could read it in the faces of their leaders, from sergeants right on up to the top. They were unresponsive, reluctant to talk. I had to drag information out of them. There was a complete absence of that alertness, that aggressiveness that you find in troops whose spirit is high. Having lost their aggressiveness, their esprit, their eagerness to fight, they seem to have forgotten, too, great many of the basic unchanging principles of war. They were not patrolling as they should. Their knowledge of the enemy's location and his strength was pitifully inadequate. There are two kinds of information that no commander can do without. Information pertaining to the enemy, which we call combat intelligence, and information on the terrain, both 
are vital. I told these commanders that I had learned in the. I, I told these commanders that I had shit typos in this. I had told these commanders what I had learned in my military primer and suppose that they had learned the same, that the first rule in war is to make contact with your enemy at the earliest possible moment. Once you get that physical contact, you never lose it. You hang on to it with a bulldog grip. Here the enemy was leaning right up against us, but we did not know his strength and we did not have his location pinpointed on a map. Wow. All intelligence could show me was a big red goose egg out in front of us with 174,000 scrawled in the middle of it. I immediately ordered vigorous and aggressive patrolling all along that thinly held 135-mile line. We would find the enemy and poke and prod him until he revealed his positions and his strength. At the same time, I ordered every unit to do its utmost to kill or capture the red patrols which every night was sneaking into our lines. Wow. Just pause there. So basics. He's a back to basics guy. You got to. We, we, yes. We need to know where the enemy is and how many of them there are. Like yeah. what the fuck had these guys been doing? Yeah. Just no, running away. Walker like, had them unfocused. You and I have done enough shows. You and I have done enough battles. No <clears> one knows more about the heat of military strategy than you right. and I, Ray. Right? Like, right, absolutely. No one's been in more hot zones than you and I. Right. <laughs> Right. Some of those hot zones were voluntary. Some were not. Some were paid. But the point is, you and I've done. You and I've been around the block enough times to see an army that has just completely disaffected. Their morale is shot. And and if I could um, continue on with something that Ridgeway says, and and uh, he's like, you're too afraid to even get off the roads. You won't move forward unless you have direct radio or telephone con- uh, contact. You, you know, you won't, um, you have no imagination in dealing with these people, even though they are, some of them are fighting with spears. You've got planes. Yes, they might have more men, but we've got military and we've got shells coming out of the wazoo. And yet you can't figure out a way to beat them. And like you just said, first of all, we need to have some intelligence. Where are they? What are their dispositions? What are their numbers? What are they working with? And then let's, you know, establish contact and start kicking the shit out of them back to basics. And every coach, every general who has had a team or whatever that's been demoralized that's exactly what you have to do you have to go back to basics because they have forgotten combat 101 reminds me of uh, corbulo mm. remember when corbulo took over that's the right. eastern army he had to whip him under in nero yeah. and he was like oh what the hell is going on here this is this is appalling back to basics right. back to basics and they and they he made them fear him more than they fear the Parthians. So they were more than willing to do what he yelled at them because they were so afraid of him. That's what you got to do as a commander. Oh, God, my wife must be a general. Shit. Sorry. <laughs> Different subject. Please continue. The second type of vital battle information is information on the terrain. I mm. told these commanders I didn't want to ask any man where a trail went and have him tell me he didn't know. It was his business to know what lay in front of him, what kind of vegetation was there for cover, right. how the roads and streams ran, whether a tank could operate there or not. I ran into some attitudes that amazed and angered me. One infantry commander told me he couldn't make contact with the company on his right because his radio was out. I reminded him that the Indians had been able to communicate across a great many rolls of open country long before the mind of man had ever conceived of a radio, and I would expect him to do the same. Or two tin cans and a string, but go ahead. 
If a vehicle couldn't make it over those hills, then by God, a good tough pair of legs could make it, and I wanted them used. Yes. Another thing I stressed was the use of firepower. One of my first actions on arrival was to send a message back to the Pentagon expediting the shipment of 10 new battalions of field artillery. These guns would be arriving soon, and I wanted them used. Time and again, I told them in the service schools and on manoeuvres and time after time in battle in Europe, I'd heard commanders hollering for help when they still had from a half to a fourth of their firepower unused. I said I didn't want to hear any commander asking for help until he could show me he was using every weapon that he had, every rifle, every machine gun, every howitzer, AA gun and tank. Yes. Then I talked about supply. I pointed out to them that every item a soldier used up there had to come from 9,000 miles away. That took time and it cost money. And I didn't want to hear of any more precious equipment being abandoned. Any man who lost or threw away or needlessly damaged any piece of equipment or property was going to be court-martialed. God dang. I'm afraid of him now. Yeah, he's like, he's not taking any shit. He's like fucking (laughs) clamping down, clamping down. Well, you've played enough um, role, I don't know what to call them, role-playing turn-based games like I have, you know, Civilization or Caesar's Rome or whatever. There's projecting power to inflict damage on your enemy, but then there's efficiently projecting power where you are using the vast majority of what you have. It is active. It is activated. It is engaged with the enemy. That's not what's going on here. And he's like, no, no, you've got shit. Start using shit or I'm going to put my ass, my foot up your ass next to your shit. So again, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to light a fire under these guys and it's working. It's working. Don't don't let these glasses confuse you. I'm not some sad fat nerd sitting in his mother's basement playing role placed uh, military games. Like I've got a ponytail, man. I'm cool. Right, right. No, uh, this was yeah, yeah. this was. Uh, I'm no neck beard. Twenty five. No, Thirty years ago. I don't have any neck beard. I'm not. I'm not some sad loser role playing no, game. No, too. no, no, no absolutely. No. I'm, I'm when you were younger. You played. No, no. I thought no. You told me you played some game mm. with the twins. Oh, Age of Empires. Empires. That's different. That's cool. That's... That's... What the fuck did I say? Uh, No, but the point is, if you play enough of those games, you get about how to wisely use your forces, and that's what he's doing here. Uh, Oh, okay. So, so again, you're like Ridgeway. You're you're a commander. Sure, sure. Yeah, sure. Then I... Then I talked a little about leadership. I told them their soldier forebears would turn over in their graves if they heard some of the stories I had heard about the behaviour of some of our troop leaders in combat. The job of a commander was to be up where the crisis of action was taking place. In time of battle, I wanted division commanders to be up with their forward battalions, and I wanted corps commanders up with the regiment that was in the hottest action. Mm. If they had paperwork to do, they could do it at night. By day, (laughs) their place was up there where the shooting was going on. The power and prestige of America was at stake out here, I told them, and it was going to take guns and guts to save save ourselves from defeat. I'd see to it they got the guns. The rest was up to them, to their character, their competence as soldiers, their calmness, their judgment, and their courage. Exhortation would have done no good, I know, without works to back it up. Before we could put up any sort of fight, we had to organize the ground. 
The first day there, I had called upon President Rhee for 30,000 native labourers. He provided the first 10,000 by dawn the next morning. Mm. We equipped them with picks and shovels and axes, and they began to dig and string with barbed wire the strong, deep, fortified positions from which we would meet the onslaught which I was sure was soon to come. These were some of the things I said and did in my first three days in Korea. There was nothing brilliant about them. They were simple grassroots things that any seasoned commander would have ordered in that situation. There was still one great question that lurked in the minds of the troops, and it was basic. That question was simply this. Why do we fight at all? What the hell are we doing here in this godforsaken spot? Back in the States, some commentator had said that in Korea we were fighting the wrong war in the wrong place against the wrong enemy. And that glib generalization had made a deep impression on the men of the 8th Army. Mm -hmm. One night in my room, I sat down and out of the depths of my own great faith in our cause, I tried to answer. The answer to the first question, why are we here, I wrote, is simple and conclusive. We are here because of the decisions of the properly constituted authorities of our respective governments. As the Commander-in-Chief, United Nations Command, General of the Army, Douglas MacArthur, has said, this command intends to maintain a military position in Korea just as long as the statesmen of the United Nations decide we should do so. Mm. The answer is simple, because further comment is unnecessary. It is conclusive, because the loyalty we give and expect precludes any slightest questioning of these orders. Nice. That's the same response I give my children whenever they ask why they have to do anything. Because I, so. I fucking said so. That's all you need. No. <laughs> that did remind me. You probably read this like I did decades ago. Um, Shogun James Clavell when the uh, oh, the, the samurai. It. I loved. I know. I loved all of his books. The samurai oh, like me too. decisions, fear, apprehension, anxiety. We don't do that. We literally do what we're told. If they tell us to attack, we attack. If they tell us to stand down, we stand out. Boom. We don't think. We just do. We are warriors. We are samurai. And that's kind of what he's saying. Look, your job is to do what you're fucking told. Uh, that's why we're here. So, but however it works, these do these guys do begin to feel pride. I think he was using the carrot and the stick, but it sounds like at times he was beating them with the carrots and loving them with the stick. I I don't want to get involved in that, but but it's effective whatever he's doing because there is there is a resurgence of pride and and confidence in themselves that they can take the fight to these. Excuse me for saying this because it's going to come up again. Gooks. That's how they're they're thinking of them. They're treating them or whatever. And the, the the point is, they do get their confidence back pretty quickly because of Ridgeway. The Asiatic hordes. Yes, that was a little tacky. Yeah. 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 I like. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I. Yeah. I'm. I. I. I don't deal with orders very well. No. Uh, I can, no. I yeah, to that. No, yeah. Except for hitting uh, harder, Cam. That you seem to have. No problem. Yeah, well, that's yeah. I bet I'm on board with that. It's more of a know. request, a passionate yeah, yeah, request. Yeah, yeah, consent. It's just consent. Um, uh, Where were we? I don't deal. I don't deal well with orders, but um, I like you know his approach to uh, answering this by not answering. Why are we here? Yeah. Because we're told to be here. That's yeah. it. That's oh, that's all you need to know. Yeah. You know. The second question is of much greater significance, and every member of this command is entitled to a full and reasoned answer. Mm -hmm. What was the second question? What are we here, and uh, why do we fight, and what the hell are we doing here? Okay, that's right. Mine follows. 
to me, the issues are clear. It is not a question of this or that Korean town or village. Real estate is here incidental. It is not restricted to the issue of freedom of our South Korean allies, whose fidelity and valour under the severest stresses of battle we recognise, though that freedom is a symbol of the wider issues and included among them. The real issues are whether the power of Western civilization, as God has permitted it to flower in our own beloved lands, Mm -hmm. shall defy and defeat communism, whether the rule of men who shoot their prisoners, enslave their citizens, and deride the dignity of man shall displace the rule of those to whom the individual and his individual rights are sacred, whether we are to survive with God's hand to guide and lead us or to perish in the dead existence of a godless world. If these be true, and they are to me, beyond any possibility of challenge, then this has long since ceased to be a fight for freedom of our Korean allies alone or for their national survival. It has become and continues to be a fight for our own freedom. For our own survival. With freedom. They can take our houses, but they cannot take our dignity. In an honorable, independent national existence, the sacrifices we have made. And those we shall yet support are not offered vicariously for others, but in our own direct defense. In the final analysis, the issue now joined right here in Korea is whether communism or individual freedom shall Mm -hmm. prevail. Sorry, sir, what about the individual freedom to have communism? Shoot that (laughs) that man man arrested. (laughs) Between the eyes. Kick him in the Whether testicles the first. Flight of fear-driven people we have witnessed here shall be checked, or shall at some future time, however distant, engulf our own loved ones in all its misery and despair. These are the th- things for which we fight. Never have members of any military command had a greater challenge than we, or a finer opportunity to show ourselves and our people at their best, and thus to do honour to the profession of arms and to those brave men who bred us. We happy few. We band of brothers. Uh, I would like to point out that, see, 1950, uh, about 12 or 15 years from this moment, uh, the resources of the United States are going to be used against black Americans and the civil rights uh, guns, water cannons, dogs, batons. But yeah, but sure, no, we're here for the American way. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. But yeah. this the shtick does work. Mm. For a small segment <laughs> of the population, I guess. Yeah. Not the white segment. It wasn't right. so small back then. Are there any other? <clears throat> I... uh, not that matter, no. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry to mean to. Yeah, so uh, he wasn't beyond a little bit of American uh, rah rah yeah, there, but you know, yeah. uh, but you know, I think he sums it up well. I mean, you have to, like, you have to um, instill in your troops, yes, this this life or death situation here. Particularly, it's difficult when when you've got troops. You know this when you have troops in a foreign land, right? Um, say, why are we here? What's this got to do with us? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to motivate them. It's not like their homes are being invaded or, right. or their their families are being threatened. This Goats is a stolen. yeah yeah we're we're fighting gooks to save another bunch of gooks. 
Uh, you know, why are we here? Why are we putting our lives on the line like this? Why are right. we suffering through the cold? Yes, he has to. He has to turn it into a uh, a struggle for the very existence. Yes. Of yes. life on the world, it has to be this uh, existential threat that we're facing, yeah. which is what America has always done about communism, turned it into an existential oh, threat. Life and death, and, yes. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing that's happening, you know, like supporting Ukraine. <clears throat> Six yeah. months in, uh, supporting that and, and, and prolonging that. Uh, war and and we read about that in the terms of sort of existential yeah. threats of Russia. If we don't stop Russia now, yeah. they're going to continue to do this and take over the whole world and the turn world. them all into vampires yeah, and stuff like that. Russian vampires are the worst kind. Well, they're the sexiest kind. That's let's true. be honest. But still, the- I come to suck your blood <laughs> with some vodka. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's, it's oh, Vlad, sexy. suck me, mm. suck me, Vlad. Anyway, but but let me let me add on one more thing before we move on. Um, the speeches, the words, the presence, the mannerisms, the uh, the vibes that he's giving off. Compare that to what they had before with General Walker. Personally courageous. Um, but not being positive, probably overwhelmed. He's giving off vibes like, I can't do this. This job is bigger than me. And then you've got this rock star who comes in, who's got a solid record from World War II. The Ardennes, uh, D-Day that you mentioned, uh, the Battle of the Bulge. This guy has seen a lot. And now he's in there. So, yeah, the men instantly respond. And again, compared to Walker, he's doing a hell of a job, even though it's just words right now. Yeah, but I, I I think that's like it's it's words is what he's got. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I admire this guy because he came in and he's taking a situation which is look you know does not look good um, on the right. ground. He's taking a demoralized army that's a million miles from home, mm-hmm. and he's got to figure out how to turn them around. They've they've you know it, it all comes down to words. Yes, and your ability to get inside the heads of people and convince them to do to put their lives on the line for a cause they don't really understand and 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 don't even you know necessarily believe in. Yeah, they don't care. You know, well, I mean, they don't care about the South Koreans. I mean, yeah. most Americans didn't know where Korea was yeah. uh, a year a year earlier, right? That's so, true. Yeah. it's um, it's a but he, it's a tough job, and he ha- he has to he has to create this propaganda. The only way to motivate people, it, you know, it reminds me of the Crusades. Like, you know, uh, yes. you, you you have to turn these things into existential threats and crises in order to motivate people to go and fight wars they don't understand. And traditionally, we've seen this in all of our history shows, the only ways to trigger that kind of life or death existential threat in people is to say, well, your homes are being threatened, which in this case is a pretty hard sell because (laughs) their homes are a long, long way away. Or you do it for God, you do it for your sake in heaven, and Americans tend to respond to that, a little bit of, uh, you know, religious uh, 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 jihad Mm -hmm. um, is something that Americans get behind. Um, Or you have to turn it into some sort of global existential threat, which is more of a 20th century phenomenon, I think, but... You know, yeah. I, he has to sell this as they sell the, the the Russian thing today, and this is what the Cold War was all about. Obviously, is like selling this 
global existential threat of mm-hmm. the communists are going to come and rape our babies and eat them afterwards and stuff like that. Right. And, and stop me if I'm going too far, but his message does begin to work. The men do feel pride. They are not absolutely disgusted by the idea of a new offensive coming from them versus just retreating again. This one British gunnery officer wrote, It was incredible, the change that came over the Americans and their discipline. They started to wash their vehicles and things like that. So again, I know that sounds pedestrian or banal or whatever, but when, but when discipline and morale fall apart, you stop taking care of your uniform and your things. So clearly, that's an indication, a, a small one, but an indication that they're starting to turn things around. Reminds me of... Um the broken windows theory that Rudy Giuliani, my good friend, Rudy Giuliani. Keep it looking nice. Yeah. Take it seriously. Do you ever read his book? No. Leadership? Good God. No. I think I used it for toilet paper, but uh, no, it's a good, it's a good book. Cool. Uh, It came out, uh, you know, not long after nine 11, I guess when, when he still had tons of credibility, (laughs) but he talked about, the broken windows theory that um, he and and the chief of police, who I think ended up going to jail in New York, uh, uh, they didn't come up with it, but uh, somebody else right. came up with it. They, they, they embraced ran. it when yeah. they were running New York. And the idea was, you know, if you see a broken window in a tenement building or something and it doesn't get fixed, it sort of suggests that no one's paying attention. No one cares. And that yeah. you can commit crimes yeah. and get away with it because no one's looking, no one's watching. So, on you know, they their, their philosophy was if you if you nab people for jaywalking, then you, you're sending a message that uh, people are paying attention to the smaller crimes. Ah, They're probably paying attention to gotcha. the bigger crimes as well, like getting the squidgy guys uh, who yes. are, you know, terrorizing the streets of New York. <laughs> Asking for a couple of bucks for cleaning your window. How dare they? All right. Well, I think that's where we'll leave this one. Uh, We'll be back with episode 222 uh, next time. An iron curtain has descended across the continent.